there are a lot of venture firms in the world who have got very clear, you know, if I'm going to invest X, you must have Y revenue, you must have, you know, a certain number of people or, you know, some kind of random, semi-random set of requirements um, that, that they have to, you know, essentially a checklist that they have to, they have to complete before they um, are able to have a conversation. We don't have that. So today I'm with uh, Matthew Jones. He's a managing director at Anthemus. Welcome, Matthew. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Matthew, if you don't mind, maybe you could tell us a little bit about uh, Anthemus and, and, and your role within the organization to start. Absolutely. Um, so Anthemus, we've been up and running for about 11 years now, um, and we're a venture firm focused on financial services. I joined about five years ago, just under five years ago, to um, initially focus on our investments related to the insurance industry. Um, I joined from Swiss Re, where I'd spent the best part of the previous five years, um, where I was working on a broad range of um, insurance and reinsurance stuff across um, both London and Zurich. And then um, I came on board at Anthemis to work on early stage investments, which is what we've been doing um, ever since Anthemis started. And now my work uh, also covers growth stage investing as well. Well, that's great. So for those in our audience who, who, who maybe aren't as familiar with the principal investing side, could you maybe um, put some parameters around what early stage investing is versus growth stage investing? Yeah, yeah, I can, I can try. So for us, when we talk about early stage investing, really that can start at a couple of people, a pitch deck and an idea. Um, and we have backed and will continue to back um, companies at that really, really early stage. Um, that's where it really begins for us. We will also continue to or, or make our first investments through the, the seed stage. So when a company has perhaps just got into market, they're just beginning to get up and running through to where they're beginning to scale. But ultimately, our model is pretty straightforward. And for anyone that's seen um, Dragon's Den in the UK or Shark Tank over in the US, are, are kind of the way that we, the, 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 the idea is basically the, the same thing. We invest in, we invest amount, certain amounts of money into really early stage companies. Um, we buy minority stakes in those businesses. And then we work with the team to help them as much as we possibly can to navigate the challenges of starting a business. And then at some point, um, you know, say 10 years into the future, there's a what we call an exit event that we work towards. And this is where, you know, the company either sells in a, a transaction to another firm in the industry or, you know, the holy grail for venture capital is you know, the company IPOs and they go public. Um, but we we invest at the earliest stages and help these companies to to navigate becoming a much bigger business um, and stay with them for as long as we possibly can. We always try to construct syndicates when we're talking to companies and when we're talking about a, a new fundraising round. Um, you know, we we don't pretend that we have all the answers. We, you know, the, the people that we have on the team don't pretend that they have all the answers and that, you know, if you're raising a couple of million dollars, you only need one person around the table to help you deploy that capital and, and help the company to grow. 
Um, so we always try to work with um, other venture firms that share our investment thesis um, and where they can contribute something a little bit different to um, to the company and helping them to tackle maybe different problems than we can help them with. So you mentioned investment thesis. So are there you know, particular themes you've had historically or are there things you're thinking about here as we uh, you know, roll into early 2022? Financial services is at the core of our investment thesis, and that's what we spend all day, every day thinking about. What we also do, though, is we also spend time looking into kind of evaluating, investigating and investing in adjacent industries um, where ultimately we believe that the technology that is being developed in that other industry or that other space will intersect with financial services at some point in the future. So. Are, are there any um, examples you'd, you'd be open to sharing from your portfolio and, and maybe companies in particular that you work with as to, uh, you know, um, uh, sort of the, the, the thesis and, and, and sort of how it's played out and, and, and how the organization has has grown with your assistance? One of the companies that we've um, that we backed in the last couple of years was a, a company called Kettle. So Kettle. Uh, provides wildfire reinsurance and insurance products to people and organizations that are in high-risk areas. Because the incumbents in the industry have been so, in many ways, slow to adopt new technologies in order to model wildfire risk, meant their response in many in many cases has actually been just to say, you know what, we're not going to get involved in this. We're not going to. We're not actually going to insure against the risk of wildfire. And the team at Kettle got together and said, you know what, that actually isn't acceptable. We've been delighted to be working with uh, with that team and helping them to um, come to market, help them to navigate the challenges around working with capacity providers, helping them on the, on the um, customer side and helping them to connect with folks that can help to get these products in market. And ultimately, what the company is doing and, and what the company is achieving is, is making these uh, people and organizations more resilient. So the way that we the way that we support our portfolio companies by and large is there are two different ways. So at the end of the day, the our portfolio companies have all got a point person on the investment team that is there, whether it's um, you know whether it's eleven o'clock in the morning after their first coffee or maybe second coffee at eleven o'clock, or whether it's nine o'clock on a Sunday evening and they have a burning issue that they that they need to deal with. Um, so that's that's always the portfolio company's first port of call, and each of our investors um, here at Anthemis it has got their own kind of set of expertise, set of experience, and and contacts that can be brought to bear for the portfolio company in question. In addition to that, we also have a portfolio success team, and this is a group of about half a dozen people that are that have got their own. Um, skills and experiences in certain in very specific areas and so think of those as areas like marketing or product design technology recruiting business development and so we don't impose these people on anyone um, this the, these uh, our, our teammates in portfolio success are available to the entire portfolio they'll drop in to the portfolio company in question help them with a very specific challenge that they're facing and then come out of the company and go and help another one in the portfolio that might be experiencing something similar. Any any particular common challenges you can highlight or elaborate on? Yeah, so connectivity is probably the one that we, we see the most. So many times an insurance startup, uh, whether it's a 
a company that is selling to the insurance industry or whether it's a company that is looking to partner with the insurance industry for, for paper or capacity, um, often the, the founders have got their own connections and, they, and they've got people that they, um, that they know in the industry, but often they want to be able to expedite their entry into a given conversation or a given firm. You know, you're on a number of different boards. How do you view your role there? You know, and is it unique um, relative to your your role as an investor? I guess to start with, the the principle that we have is to is to do no harm, right? To you know, our when we are a board member, our first obligation is to the company. We are you know that is. That is what we've signed up for as a as a board member. You have to put your role as an investor to one side and make decisions that are in the best interest of the company, not not you or your fund. In all cases, I would say, you know, you're a cheerleader for the team. You're you're providing encouragement. You're kind of watching out for the risks that might be out there that maybe the the company hasn't seen and or doesn't have on their radar. Sort of, are there certain ways you encourage a founder? To, to structure um, his or her, her board in the early stages. So the one the one mistake that I that I have observed on a few occasions is is trying not to have one at all um, at the really early stages. And, and I think a lot of founders come into the venture world and think, oh, you know, that board is going to be a real pain, and you know, I have to manage it, and you know, I have to call my board members all the time, I have to provide them with materials and things like that. Actually. Um, if used right and if constructed in the right way, the board can be a genuine accelerant for the business and can really help it again overcome problems uh, in a much kind of shorter time frame and achieve the aspirations of the business in a much shorter time frame. So, just you know, thinking about talent more broadly and 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 you know, not just from a board perspective, but what advice would you have for? Um, I guess either stage, but in, in, in general for, you know, venture back companies or founders who are trying to build their team and, you know, what lessons learned have you seen? It's a, it's the, my first observation is that it's a bit of a bloodbath out there right now. I mean, the, the market for talent is so competitive and it's you know, in part driven by the fact that you have these you know, public companies that, you know, we probably don't need to name that have, that are sitting on, a lot of cash and a lot of stock that they can offer to um, to tech talent, product talent, um, and it can be really hard to um, to to entice people into a startup where it's a very different risk level. There's a there's a certain kind of compensation that that comes with it. Um, I've found that the the companies that are succeeding in this this kind of battle for talent are those that have got a really coherent and exciting story about the business that they're building, where they're headed and why they're doing it. Just before we before we wrap here, uh, I really appreciate your time. You know, you're sitting in the UK, so anything in particular that you might see that's, you know, unique or different about say the US market versus UK or other markets in Europe or for that matter anywhere else in the world? The first thing I would mention is and as a Brit, this is this is particularly painful. I, I think London had a lead when it comes when it comes to insure insure tech over the last kind of f over the first four or five years. So let's say between 
2014 to about 18 or so. And I'm not saying that we've squandered it because I don't think it's that, but we've, I would now say that you know, the US is clearly the, the dominant location for, you know, for successful insurance businesses in this insurance tech space. I think the other thing is, I think a lot of people make the mistake of thinking of Europe as one market. You know, the US is, you know, it's a whole host of different states. And whilst there might be subtle cultural differences between the states, it is one country. And yes, okay, there are many different regulators, but it's one country. And by and large, there's a lot of consistency across the across the different regions. In Europe, you know, you're talking about a collection of, you know, 25, 30 more countries, each of them with their own culture, very distinct culture, they'll have, you know, um, you know in some cases, different currencies, different languages, different ways of doing business. Anything else you'd like to cover before we wrap this up today? This was great. Thank you very much for having me. And um, we're, it's, we're at a really interesting time in you know, in tech, in fintech, and tech more generally, especially after what we've seen in the markets over the last few weeks. Um, but I do think that 2022 is going to be a really interesting and good year. Um, and I think we'll be looking back at the end of December being pretty happy with how things play out. So fingers crossed anyway. Let's see. All right. Matthew Jones, Managing Director at Anthemus. Thanks so much for joining. Thanks for having me.